Did you buy that seltzer that's um that's got the real annoying name? It's like sip with two Ps or something. Um I think no. that's the one that I bought. It's called from Ocean, Massachusetts. It's called Ocean Breeze Cultivators. It's got a a grizzled sailor on it, which I'm into. It's the one I'm thinking of. Oh know. man, there's a lot of these now. Yeah, and it's the new hotness. Experience the wave of relaxation with Ocean Breeze Cultivator's 5 milligram THC infused grapefruit seltzer. Your refreshing Can with two ends of, of natural citrus flavors and a subtle calming high. And there's a hot, grizzled old sailor guy on it. So wink with a Y. These are all Keith. <laughs> oh, this looks like PBR. I love that. Oh hell yeah. PBR, but for weed. My roommates were judging me for drinking PBR. They're like, There's one called Smazzy. That's you. Smazzy. <laughs> Smazzy. I'm like, listen, PBR is good. It is a union shop, I think, right? Yeah, people make fun of me for drinking PBR too. And they're just wrong. I'm like, I'm like, just because I live in Boston where there's a bunch of fancy craft beer doesn't mean I'm going to suck IPA dick, you know? Yeah. We only suck PBR dick and whiskey Ex- dick. Exactly. We only suck PBR dick in this house. I hate IPAs. I do like craft beer. I just like IPAs. Justin, I'm a Skullcom librarian, and pronouns are he and they. I'm Sadie, I work IT at a public library, and my pronouns are they, them. And I'm Jay, I am a music librarian, and my pronouns are he, him. Let's go, lesbians, let's go! <laughs> That's for all those lesbians out there, you know who you are. Yeah, we totally let Butch Appreciation Day come and go, and I just barely got in a happy birthday butches on the, on the last... Like last hour. I mean, where would we be without butches? That's like, you know, listen, all you li- all of you library school students out there and you're going to get your big first job and you're going to have to move somewhere across the country. The fir- very first thing you need to do is find a butch lesbian to be your best friend because they will help you build Ikea furniture and unpack and do other moving things and also like make you cookies and shit. Uh <laughs> This has happened to me every single time I've moved anywhere. Just do it. As a butch bisexual, yes. Especially the uh, the baking cookies part. My wife will cover the uh, the building of the IKEA furniture part. It's eighteenth of August. Is Butch Appreciation Day? Well, we're a little late, but every day in this house, every single day is Butch Appreciation Day. Excuse you, as a former butch, <laughs> as a dyke to fag, like it's the pipeline sliding I mean, down that pipeline faster than a Boston cop. We started a Discord. We did start. It's going good in there. Yeah, it's pretty fun so far. But yeah, join our Discord. It's fun. Um, we'll put the link in this episode, but we might have to have a new link. I don't know how that works. Um, yeah, whatever. It'll, it'll work. It'll work. We'll figure it out. Yeah, it's fine. We're chill. Yeah. So my first story is a doozy. So we're doing another bad news roundup, partner. Cow, cow. We need Horse Dono to come in and like do a little. That's what I was channeling was Horse Dono. Yeah, a segment intro <laughs> for Bad News Roundup Partner is Horse Dono. Dono, if you're listening, <laughs> send me some clips. Send us some clips. We'll bug you. So this is uh, 
I've got myself some more Texas stories because I can't help it. And everything's kind of weird in Texas right now. So the Houston Independent School District is not independent, so it probably should get its name changed. But it's been taken over by the state government to reappoint the Board of Education, along with a superintendent, who is kind of the star of this story because uh, I found out more about him. But I think the reason librarians would have heard about um, HISD recently is that the new superintendent, Mike Miles, has a reform program called the New Education System. It's not new. It's the same shit that people have been doing forever, which is tying faculty pay to student feedback forms and standardized test scores, uh, which is what he did in Dallas over the course of three whole years, um, really commits to it. I think he's more just a wrecking ball. He comes in and destroys shit and leaves. Um, After he left Dallas, he went uh, to fund a charter school system, So kind of tells you like everything about him. He's a West Point graduate. He's a real piece of shit. And they were in the school about three weeks uh, in the news about three weeks ago for 28 of 85 schools in the NES program are eliminating their librarian positions and the rest are up for review, which means probably like half of them will go. That's what for review usually means. Ideally, those librarians will be able to move to other positions in the school district. Uh, and not totally be fucked over. Obviously, these are low-income schools. All the rich schools get to keep their librarians. The former superintendent had kept library staff on, so this is sort of a, a reduction. It's a reversal in their position on funding libraries in the system, and... They will be turning the library spaces into what were originally being referred to as discipline centers. And I went back to this Click to Houston version, and they are all referred to as team centers now, uh, which I don't remember that when I first grabbed this article. So actually, let me pull up the Internet Archive. 2372. Okay, so they were always referred to as team centers, Mm. I believe. I just don't remember that at all until I reread it now. Um, But they will be used to hold probably just any student with an intellectual disability. They said behavioral problems. They'll zoom into their classrooms. Cool. Which I guess means there's cameras in every classroom, which I believe the union has said something about. You can go into the library apparently before and after, but they won't have librarians. So I don't know how they're supposed to be run. But anyway, that was how the story ended up on my radar. But then I started reading to see if there was any updates on this story today. And Mike Miles, it turns out, is like a crazy person. So they put on a play about his new education system where he had students and teachers from the performing arts school like take part in it and it he plays uh mr duke a uh the owner of like a 50s diner who helps uh explain to the stuffy old public school teachers and the students and intermediary it's an intermediary for them uh it's an hour-long musical the the choice of the name duke with the setting of a 50s diner is not inspiring much confidence uh, it's a little on the nose in this person's racial politics um is what i'll say yeah and also what what fucking queen like decided let's let's do a play Like, we are lost as a profession. Shit is this. <laughs> My dreams are getting smaller and smaller, a student later echoed. 
Well, maybe that new guy, you know, super, super, you mean Superintendent Miles? Maybe Superintendent Miles will make things better for us. So he plays Mr. Duke. He doesn't play himself. He plays the 50s diner owner, but I guess he's in the play. So this was like a mandatory fun thing that the teachers were forced to go to. And I also saw one of the kids who was in the play, like they didn't know what the play was about until the second day of rehearsal. And they had already been promised like volunteer hours and stuff because that's a thing you have to do in high school, which is weird. So they were like, well, we all signed up for it already. And they promised us these service hours or whatever. So, yeah. I guess uh, we're doing it. But then the student like fully named herself and everything. She's like, I hated being in this. It was creepy propaganda. So he seems like uh, he was giving me some real like uh, what's the what's the name of the mayor of New York City who's always doing weird stuff. Oh, Eric is Eric Adams. Eric Adams. Yeah, he's giving me Eric Adams vibes of just like. He's like some because he said something towards the end. Miles called his critics naysayers, saying, "You'll always have people who don't want change. Some people always want to bring down something good. They didn't get into the spirit of it." So this guy's a, a real uh, uh, maniac, and I assume most of what he's supposed to be doing is uh, eliminating positions and restructuring the school. And this is all stuff that's been done before. It doesn't seem to work anywhere. But I also saw that he wants more control over uh, some of the budget that because it's all it's all being appointed directly by the governor anyway. And their Department of Education, the Texas Department of Education. So it doesn't matter if one person has all the power or not. Apparently, the trustees are still elected in Houston ISD. This is the thing about reporting on local government is like every local government is set up different. But yeah, apparently the trustees are still elected, but the board isn't. And yeah, I would say if you want to keep up with the story, uh, it's hard to find any kind of interesting reporting. So I would just follow what the teachers union for Houston has to say. So I'm sure they've got social media presence out there. But anyway, the discipline centers are pretty creepy. Um, A lot of the reform is also um, standardizing the lesson plans. So the teachers won't write their own lesson plans anymore. It's the it's that model of uh, you have instructional faculty and you have design faculty and they're not the same faculty. So Mm -hmm. you can trade out any kind of instructor and they all just teach the same script, more or less. It's uh, I want to say like American University pioneered this in higher education which is like an online university focused on veterans. I think it's American University. It might be the, also... American University is the one in D.C., right? That's like Christian, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I think they're the ones who pioneered this this uh, instructional faculty, design faculty distinction. But anyway, they're trying to do the same thing with um, the school district. And so there's really no room for like independent reading or anything. It's uh, stu- uh, teachers who teach reading and i thought it was math but yeah i think it's reading and math which are the things that count for the standardized star test in texas which is their their standardized test uh they get paid about fifteen thousand dollars more dollars more than uh teachers who teach science humanity social sciences and electives and then there was another stu- uh, another teacher who had her elective course that she'd been teaching for years replaced with a course on like the skill of thinking which she has received three weeks of curriculum for and school starts and now uh so yeah it's very like um if you if you've heard about like what eric adams is doing in the schools he like he mandated people do like breathing exercises for all students he's like a really wild person but it's fun that the mayor of new york city has some real texas vibes um because this is totally something i would expect from like texas or florida yeah because eric adams also was the one who was like 
gonna slash the New York Public Library's budget while we like, did. just throwing money at cops. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought they didn't do it as bad after the outcry. It wasn't as bad, but there was a previous cut that had already happened, and then he did another ten mm. percent cut to like every board except police, and then they stopped that for the libraries. But the library still lost like twenty eight million dollars, a huge amount of money. Yeah, no, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, so is uh, Miles. Superintendent Miles. Hi, Super Nintendo Chalmers. Want to get some Simpsons jokes? Make a note to myself. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I won't. <laughs> if I do, it'll be here. No, it must be the teachers who are wrong. <laughs> I, I saw the teachers in the in the closet. I saw like- teachers teaching critical race theory, and then another critical race theory came out, and it smiled at me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, that was the first one. Publishers, booksellers sue Texas over the public school book ban. This also actually did have a bit of an update. So this is a law that went into effect in Texas. It will go in. uh, It was passed in the last legislative session. It has the I believe we talked about it before. It has two ratings. It has three ratings. Not rated. Sexually. Let me get the exact terms. Uh, sexually explicit and then sexually relevant, I believe, are the two ratings, and then not rated. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Publishers, it, it would mean every vendor has to give these ratings. There is no ratings board in Texas. There are no guidelines for the ratings, and they will have to make up their own ratings of whether or not it's not rated sexually explicit or sexually relevant. So that would mean everyone from like Amazon to an independent bookstore has to come up with their own assessment of whether or not that that book is explicit relevant or not rated in order to be a vendor to a school district. And so they were sued by the Austin uh, Blue Willow is a bookstore, Austin Bookstore, Book People, Association of American Publishers, Authors Guild, Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. And then they were joined with a friend of the court, Barnes & Noble, American Association of School Librarians, and the Association of University Presses filed amicus amicus briefs. So the law goes into effect September 1st. They have asked for the judge to file an injunction, issue a temporary injunction blocking the law from going into effect. The judge seems kind of sympathetic, so it probably will get an injunction, particularly because the state officials have said they don't plan to enforce the law until April 2024 because they haven't made any rating guidelines for booksellers. So this law really can't go into effect. The judge, who's Judge Albright, asked why the law was compelling private bookstores to do work on behalf of the state. The state's lawyers argued that ratings were government-related speech and thus not subject to First Amendment claims. But since each bookseller must provide their own ratings, the plaintiffs argued that the businesses would have to publish the ratings as their own. And like we said last time, the law allows state agencies to correct any individual bookseller's rating, and it's not clear who does that. Um, So the judge asked, what if everyone just put no rating and then made the state correct them? So I don't know, it doesn't seem like the state has a very good case because this law is nonsensical and was passed in a hurry. So I wouldn't be surprised if it gets put on hold. But There are several organizations already suing the state about it, and we'll know by next week. This is Justin in post-production. The judge did end up granting a preliminary injunction barring the implementation of this law. 
So probably by the time this is out. Yeah, we'll know by the time this is out. We are up ahead of the news cycle, finally. So that was Texas. Do I have a Texas drop? Marhaba, Zumalai! That was Texas. Cool. Rad. Okay, well, I have the one coming from Wyoming, where a library board instituted a instituted a policy aimed at shielding children and teens from sexual content, of course. Mm. Policy for protecting children from harmful sexually explicit material. The board instituted in June of this year with guidance from Mass Resistance, which Southern po- Poverty Law Center describes as, an, as a far-right anti-LGBTQ hate group. So you know where that's coming from. But they said, okay, so uh, when do you have, like, what they asked the director, do you have a timeline for implementing this policy, which doesn't actually name any books, just says that librarians are responsible for going through and, and removing or weeding anything that could be harmful to children, which is just kind of a wildly vague thing. And she came back with basically, we already have an established challenge procedure that may, means that the challengers have to certify that they actually read the entire book, which I think is key to a lot of this. Yeah. But the board basically said, uh, no, it's your professional duty to do this. And she said, it's our professional duty to violate First Amendment rights. And the board was like, well, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be you doing it. And she's like, well, it f- definitely feels like we're doing it because we're the ones who are removing these books from physically from the shelves and basically refused to put a timeline or any sort of plan in place to actually implement this incredibly vague policy. And she got fired over it. Let's support her. Good, good job, her. Yeah. Like good for sticking to your guns. Uh, yeah. Let's see. It, she says, it puts the onus on the staff for violating the First Amendment instead of the leadership of the library. And the board mm-hmm. person who is heading this says, well, they're not personally responsible. And she says, well, I feel like we are personally responsible. We're the ones doing it. We're the ones physically doing it. And then the board person said, if that's the way you feel, then I feel like you should find another job. And then five days later, they asked her to resign. And they explicitly said it's because she refused to move the books, but they never told me which books they were referring to or why should they should be removed to review. Just all the books. Just, Just get rid of all of them. All of the books. Just I think it's them. specifically the children's area, but uh, this article is. didn't say that specific. Um, but they asked her to resign. And she refused, and they told her she would be fired at a uh, board meeting called the next day. And she very smartly invoked her right under Wyoming law to have a public hearing and basically said, no, I'm going to make you do this in front of the whole community. I like her. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, she said, I had a good idea about what books they wanted removed. She told the Daily Beast, we could have, I could have just decided I don't want to endure the drama that will come from this. I could have done that. But then she added, but ethically, I could not have done that. So this is... What it actually looks like for, you know, a librarian to stick to their ethics. Like, unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately, uh, thank you, uh, Terry Leslie in Wyoming. We hope you um, are getting some form of financial help. Yes. But the thing is, is the Wyoming Democrat Democratic Party caught wind of this happening and tweeted about it. And about 250 people showed up to the board hearing where she got fired. And, uh, and the majority of them were there to support her. They uh, booed the board members. 
the one board member uh, who said, who was the one who said, you know, you should find, go on and find another job then um, got flipped off by a whole, by a bunch of little old ladies. And uh, they eventually had to cut public comment because people wouldn't stop applauding and cheering. Uh, and when they officially came out of executive session and said that she had her position had been terminated and she stood up to go, uh, she got a standing ovation from like most of the room as she left. So she was clearly being supported by her community, at least. Like, I Good. don't know how. Yeah. So um, it's not communities asking for this kind of shit. Exactly. So like and sometimes. <laughs> I linked from the Daily Beast article to the one that they cited from the Cowboy State Daily, which is far more sympathetic to the board. And for some reason, you know, obvious, like obviously, they linked to sections from three books that had previously been challenged, two of which had been moved, already moved sections in the library. So um, genderqueer, of course. Sex is a funny word. And how do you make a, how do you make a baby? They all remained in the library, but at least two of them got moved sections. Genderqueer got moved to the adult section and how do you make a baby? I think it is got moved to the parenting section, which was still in the children's section, but on a higher shelf in marked parenting, right? It's like, okay, both of that, th- th- that makes, you know, both of those fine. Yeah. yeah. I haven't read genderqueer, so I don't actually know if it's meant for quote young adults or if it's like an all ages or if it is primarily an adult audience. Like I've not read it, so. I can see it straddles the line between like young adults and adults because it's new adult yeah as, it, as the kids it, call it yeah the, it, it covers the a lot of the authors like youth and like feelings about gender growing up so it is sort of a like a coming of age-ish theme is it like a fun home kind of vibe yeah like okay kind, kind of the same thing so i can see why it would be why under protest it could be moved from young adults to right sure sure yeah. whatever but this article, it goes through and it talks about the previously challenged books and how they've been moved. But it also like cuts out certain parts of each one that were the ones that were being protested. And like, of course, puts those in full thing, actually puts a trigger warning at the beginning of the article. Like there are some like upsetting things, like it, it proceed with caution. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you and dietary in these books. You Watch could, out. you could use this you can use this special snowflake thing to um, to prime readers into going, well, of course this should be removed from the library when like it was already addressed. It, it was yeah. not part of this like policy at all. So right. um, these library, like these librarians already did their do their job and their due diligence when community members challenged, like said, Hey, maybe we should move these. And they went, you know what? We agree with you for our community in this collection. We will do that. Like, regardless of whether or not like we agree with those decisions, like the children can probably still access them. Right. Like it's yeah, they're just still in the library. A different section of the library. <laughs> You know, which is fine. They, you know, they do their professional duty and then the board turns around and says, well, we want you to do it harder, but we're not going to tell you how or where or under what procedure. We just expect you to go through the entire children's section and remove anything with sexually with with sexual content, basically. And she's like, uh, we don't have time for that, for one. 
And for two, it like you're basically asking me to violate the First Amendment, which is not something I'm planning on doing. So they fired her. And uh, I'd like to note that this is one of the first library boards who back in um, October split with the a- ALA. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is what's coming down the pike from all of that. They're going to start pushing people out and yeah. <laughs> Run for your library board. Run for your library board. Get on your library board. Go to boring meetings. Just show up. They're open to the community. You can just go. You can just go to your library's board meetings. Even if you're not on the board, you can just go to them. You can you because can't it's just like go. A, it, because it is like a city or a neighborhood or whatever like government thing like those minutes are public and those meetings should are normally open to the public it's just people just don't fucking go to them and so they don't normally expect people to go but like you're allowed to go and you're allowed to make comments and shit like in them like i've gone to library board meetings before because i saw like nazi stickers on telephone poles outside the library i was like hi this is happening in our community are you aware of this have there been book challenges what do we have a place for this like you can do that that's the thing you can do Mm -hmm. so you should be annoying in your board meetings that's what they're there for i know you're afraid to like stand out or be where you're not supposed to be or feel weird or uncomfortable or anything i i know but just go to them and and be annoying at them if you if you have one place in this life to be annoying it is at library board meetings then that is my stance (laughs) yes yeah yeah i was just thinking about that because uh the city that i live in has a city library that is not the library that i work for and Mm -hmm. i was thinking i should start going to some of those city council meetings because i literally live walking distance from them so there's no really no i have no real excuse but i don't know what they're I don't know what their policies are about book challenges. And I live literally like three blocks from that library. So I should probably know, like, especially as a library person. So I have to remind myself to not get too complacent just because I live in Boston now, you know, and the BPL is a great library, but still, you know. The two organizations that helped draft the policy, which is called Policy for Protecting Children from Harmful Sexually Explicit Material. I'm going through the changes to their collection development, but two of them are Mass Resistance, one of which is Massachusetts-based anti-gay organization, and the other one is Liberty Council, which is Florida-based. So neither of these are even Wyoming organizations. This is all astroturfed. Oh, yeah. But I'm looking through Astroturfing shows up uh, in mine, too. Yeah. So this one, I pulled up their um, collection development policy that they adopted in March. I just found it. And uh, they struck out all the sections that had to do with the ALA, which is just like kind of funny. Mm -hmm. But I found the policy that they added, and it's not that long. I want to see if there's anything that stands out to me. Uh, Anything that would be harmful to minors or impede their development. Standards established by the library board and requirements by SEPA. Okay. Um, Shall include any picture, photograph, drawing, sculpture, motion picture, yada, 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 which depicts nudity or sexual conduct, sexual excitement, sexual battery, bestiality, or sadomasochistic abuse, which is obscene, or that's in blue for some reason, or which is otherwise harmful to minors as defined by SEPA. Can you click on it? No, it's like a revision document. So this is all in red that they've added. (laughs) <laughs> and then there's like blue, which is like they added and then I guess added again. Mm-hmm. So they just added, which is obscene. Which is obscene. Um, this is just saying you have to be SEPA compliant with your books, I guess. 
I have some Susan Sontag related things to to say to all of this, and I'll wait until after mine, but it's relevant, I promise. Yeah, and it sounds like they don't even know what SEPA compliance means, because if they're basing it on that, that's just straight up, you have to have filters in which place to block child porn. And I really don't think that- thing. I really don't think that uh, publishers are publishing that. So, um, And it says the library may curate them, but must have them in a way that is not accessible to minors. So it just have to be sequestered for adults only. So uh, she didn't even break their new policy. <laughs> yeah. Because like that's the standards the board put forward. I don't see anywhere else where it says anything more specific. Of course, when you Google this, a bunch of uh, Christian websites that are all like the same website with like 20 different fronts. And you could tell because the article is word for word showing up the same in Google results. So like Whack Nuts Daily and uh, and uh, some other one was was popping up. Yeah. World News Daily and Breaking Christian News. Some kind of WordPress called Yes, Gays Are Bullying. Oh, dear um, God. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> it's just Sweet copy Jesus. and pasting. Every is copy and pasting word for word. And you can see it in a little Google snippet. And, and like the thing that gets me about this is like, don't, don't write off the conservative States because they're the canary in the coal mine. That's where they practice these tactics. So, you know, if you're one of those people who's like, Oh, well, it's Texas. Oh, well, it's Florida. Oh, well, it's Wyoming. It's like, well, yeah. Where do you think they're going to move next? Do you think they're going to be satisfied there? So like, maybe you should, I'll Care remind people that one of the most vocal transgender politicians in this country right now is in Montana. Is in Montana. Yeah. So yeah. so don't be one of those assholes that writes off entire states um, mm-hmm. just because you happen to be uh, lucky and live in a more liberal one. So yeah, don't be that asshole. There are good librarians yeah. everywhere. Not in Montana, though. <laughs> But actually, yeah, I was trying to find more uh, more blue state stories to kind of explain this to people that like they're they're trying this, and that's what Jay's story is about. Yeah, even though I have a kind of down, I have a downer take about it, um, but it is you know mostly good. It's, it's called Bad News Roundup. Yeah, so we'll do a good happens- news roundup eventually, I guess. Yeah, this happens in San Diego, in good old California. Um, And so there were in San Diego, uh, two people checked out, quote, nearly every single book in the library's uh, Pride Month display um, because they didn't want those materials to be available for children. This has actually happened at libraries all over the country. This has been happening for, uh, you know, a few years now, this kind of tactic of people just going into libraries, checking out everything related to Pride or whatever. And then just never returning those materials. You know, this is old hat. Again, this is part of like an astroturfing thing. Um, however, in this particular instance in San Diego, this backfired spectacularly in a way that's kind of funny. In that, like, there was a lot of community support that then came to um, uh, this library. So this support looked like uh, increased monetary and book donations. So not just verbal, yay, our library support, but like, you no, know, people gave books and money to the library in response to people doing this, which is, you know, good. Yay. You know, that's the kind of like actual material support that is useful and not just 
oh, hey, that's bad. Don't do that. You know, whatever. As, literally, as soon as the San Diego Union Tribune, uh, like, made wind of this, it says that, like, new copies of the books that had been checked out began to arrive at the library. It says 180 people donated $15,000 to the city's public library system, which is, like, small change in a city system that big that can buy a lot of books that were stolen and probably buy multiple copies of them, um, especially if it's just happening at this one branch. Uh, the funds which the city will match, so that's $30,000 now, will go towards LGBTQ materials and programming, including Drag Queen Story Hour, which is good. I think Drag Queen Story Hour is kind of annoying, but I'm glad it exists. Drag queens, I want them to be mean and obscene again, but you know, whatever. That's my own little personal bitchy opinions. And also, this is the funny part. <laughs> the people stole the books, returned them <laughs> because they're, they realized their scheme had backfired. <laughs> they're like, oh, well, Fuck this, that I guess. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> That's the part that gets me about this whole thing. Well, and the thing that cracks me up too is like, why would you check them out first? Just steal them. Yeah, just if you really just, don't want them available and you don't them. want like just. Because then they look lost or missing and people won't notice they're gone for a while. Yeah. I just I guess there I guess that I'm more deviant than I thought because that was my first thought is like why would you even bother checking them out then? <laughs> like you know that's on your record now, right? You know, if if you know law enforcement comes and looks for your record, it's gonna say that you've checked out a bunch of gay books. How do you think your pastor will feel about yeah, that? Yeah, like in seven, that's how they caught that's how they caught the guy in seven. One of the ways is they looked at his library record. You don't want to be like Kevin Spacey, do you? So the manager of the, and I do not speak Spanish, so my apologies, uh, Rancho Peñasquitos, that was probably bad, I'm sorry, several people listening, um, that branch of the San Diego Public Library said that, so like the, um, her name is Adrian Peterson, Adrian Peterson, if you listen, shouts out, is the manager of this branch and said that these two residents had emailed her a month prior to say that they would not, or they emailed her last month to say that they would not return the books unless the library removed this quote, inappropriate content, right? <laughs> and I, I love this quote. It was just kind of like, whoa, curveball. <laughs> um, this is what Adrian Peterson said. I began to wonder, oh, have I been misunderstanding our community, right? But, you know, like they point out that like even in California, like challenges to this kind of stuff have been happening in recent weeks and months. Even the council member Marnie Von Wilpert, uh, who represents the community this branch is in, um, condemned the library protest. Um, condemned like the people doing this and so like people were re really like quick to help restore the display and stuff and what i find also interesting is that this suburb used to be republican but has grown more diverse as like more diverse people like move into it and stuff and um this council member is its first democratic council member who is also lgbtq it doesn't say which alphabet letter this person is they are all, all of them, them apparently they are lgbtq <laughs> yes honey my my fellow my fellow <laughs> queer egot over here you know this is a sort of newly quote democratic community uh, democrat community and everything 
Um, and they've got like a queer council member and everything. So it's not like all of like California used to be a Republican safe haven. Like people forget that just because it's like really Democrat now. Like it used to just be like red. Like Ronald it voted for Reagan. Reagan. Every Ronald Reagan is came from California. California. <laughs> <laughs> Reagan's from California. Like, come on, people, use your heads. And also the two protesters who like sent the email, their email was identical to a template posted online by the conservative group Catholic Vote, which is actually not affiliated with the church at all. But that's part of this whole astroturfing thing, right? These people used a template from a larger group that is probably used elsewhere in the country, right? Like this is this is part of like astroturfing. Um, and I also find this funny. The group's president, Brian Birch, fuck you, Brian Birch, said that Catholic vote does not encourage people to break the law. But what if someone decided to keep a book indefinitely, which is actually literally breaking the law? That's perfectly fine, he told the New York Times. <laughs> it's like when I got caught stealing and I just bought Baldur's Gate 3 and part of my character is I just lie compulsively. Uh, and so I like was stealing, like some kids did a little scam on me and stole my, my something from me. So I just stole the kids uh fishing pole. And then they yeah. were like, why are you stealing? I was like, what is borrowing a crime? And, uh, I, I failed my role and I ended up in jail. But then when I was in jail, I said, oh, I was cleaning and I got locked in here and they're like, oh, sorry. And they let me out. And then I got the fishing pole out of the evidence locker. Incredible. <laughs> Went on my merry way. <laughs> However, the part where I turn into a, a fucking bummer now is the this article ends by quoting Deborah Caldwell Stone, who is uh, the ALA's um, Office of Intellectual Freedom, Freedom Director, who has pointed out that a lot of these like people checking out things and never returning them, like to form a protest has started happening a lot because more and more libraries are getting rid of late fees. And so like these groups are weaponizing these policies that are meant to help people who might be economically disenfranchised by late fees. Like like libraries are doing a good thing by removing like just because people are abusing this, don't you, know, you still get rid of late fees and fines at your library. But like she rightly pointed out that like people are also weaponizing this in order to engage in censorship. And that's not cool. And like, I feel like that's going to get used. Like, if libraries who haven't already gotten rid of fines now try to get rid of fines, and you know, you have to like make your case and your buy-in, and like, you know, there's all great, like, all sorts of great statistics and everything, but people are going to be like, yeah, but what about the people who are going to weaponize these policies to like steal all of our books, to censor, you know, gay shit, you know, or or whatever, or critical race theory, like insert thing here. Like people are just going to weaponize this for protest. And like people, like some well-meaning lib is going to say that undoubtedly mm-hmm. as in board meeting. Right. And so that's where this turns into a bummer, even though this is like, I find this funny that they returned the books because they realize it backfired. Like that's the funniest fucking thing in the entire world to me. I'm sorry. Um, it's so funny. But yeah, like I also like, you know, we, you know, we have to get rid of fines and fees. So what do we do about people weaponizing that correct decision? You know, like people are going to weaponize any good thing. Right. And like, you know, sometimes we are like, yeah, but if you do this, it's just going to be weaponized against XYZ people. And we decide then not to do it. But it's like, we need to, in this instance, we need to not have library fines and fees. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? <laughs> well, 
having gone, having every single every single library I have worked at, while I have worked there, has gotten rid of fines and fees. I've never had actually any part in it, but it's just coincidence. But widgets, a really common thing, at least in Washington now. Um, they have all gotten rid of late fees, but they haven't gotten rid of lost book fees. Yeah, that's also the thing I've heard. Yeah. Is so if you don't return the book within a certain amount of time, you will get charged for the book. If you return the book after that, that fine will go away and become a no charge thing. But if you don't, you and you can still be sent to collections. So depending on how many books they checked out and refused to return, they could be sent to collections over them. Um, I haven't heard of a library getting rid of late, like lost book fees or. So have. you have, so I, I'm not sure if that's the next evolution of the late fee thing. Um, yeah. But honestly, it's like it's weaponized. But at the same time, I don't, I don't necessarily see that we need to treat it any different than people who just really like the books and don't want to give them back for other reasons. Because listen, people, even when people did have late fines and fees, people did this and too. Yeah. People just steal books sometimes. Yeah. It's just it's. You know, treated, just treat it as a stolen book. And if you notice that certain books are vanishing off of your shelves, uh, buy extra copies of that book. Put it in every single one of your branches so it is available to be transferred for a hold when somebody wants it, if it happens to disappear from one library. I mean, and I am not a collection management person, so this is again not a professional opinion. But I, I really don't see, I really don't see how it, it would be any different from any of the other problems that would surface from getting rid of fines and fees. Yeah, yeah, I'm not so, too worried about it. But it is, it is a good point that no matter, even when we're doing good and we know we're doing good, that shit can still get turned around and weaponized on us. So, because that's and just- And they might keep us from doing good, because again, some board member is going to be like, but what about but, this? But what about this? I'm particularly concerned over a thing that is absolutely not like the majority case in the slightest. Yeah. So there is no perfect, there is no perfect way to go about it, right? Because everything can be a double-edged sword. So do, do its best that you, the be do the best you can by your own community, I guess. Agreed. Oak.org also is uh, Wisconsin-based. Yeah, everyone's uh, everyone's astroturfing wherever they can, and I think it's just a uh, uh, because of the way that uh, communities are interlocked over over the internet now. Um, that these things aren't going to be limited to one state or another. It's going to pop up wherever you can get a foothold and like test out the policy and see if you can get someone to accept it and then point to it as a victory, which. It's something someone was pointing out about like all these state library associations leaving the ALA because it really only affects like the people who work for the state library, which is like, yeah, a couple dozen librarians usually and archivists. But that still sucks for them because like now they if they want to be ALA members, they have to pay individually. And I think more libraries should be ALA members and not force their staff to pay for the membership. It should be like a general covered thing. But I've never been I've never worked in a library that covered our ALA membership or that's been an yeah. ALA member. I feel like with academic libraries, that's like also rare too because so many like everybody just has like a like a big 
expense and like rarely is ALA sort of the main thing that academic librarians of any stripe tend to focus on, I feel in my experience. Yeah, I don't even remember how the fee structure works for ACRL versus ALA. You normally have to like you get it at the same time. Yeah, I think I was a member for like one year. I shelled out for yeah. it. It made my membership like four hundred dollars. Yeah. Like ALA plus ACRL. Yeah. Like it's fucking stupid. Arthur, are you enjoying rubbing up against the mic, buddy? Yeah. Arthur, don't don't eat the wax that came off of my Maker's Mark bottle. I know, I know it looks like a worm, but it's not. Don't eat my mic cable either. I know that also looks like a worm. Does he eat a lot of worms? I think that's maybe when he was a rough and tumble street cat, what he was into was like worms and crawly things. Cause I've tried doing like the cat dancer and like, you know, toys that are like feathers and birds and shit. And he's just like, whatever. But like, if there's a fucking bug, God help you. My delivery is here. I shall return. You should go down to Walmart and get like a, like a, those fishing worms, like the plastic ones, the jelly worms. Oh, yeah. And then just hang them off a little fishing rod. They're already destroying the new bed I bought for them. How many beds have you gone through already? I bought it from the same person, so they're like handmade. Oh. Uh, so they're a lot nicer than the ones you get from the pet store. But they started chewing at the lining in the middle, and then that pulls out like fluff. So I don't think this bed's going to last very long. They just get on chewing things. They're like, oh, we're going to chew the walls like for a couple months. And then they'll get bored of that. And then they'll start chewing something else. My dog does that with with stuffed toys. If a seam comes apart, she can get at the stuffing. It's all it's all downhill. There's no recovering. We've tried sewing up her toys and they just she just goes right back at it. So she has lost many a toy. Although I will say about the other beds that aren't as nice, they are a lot more durable. And Millie's using one right now. So so I've got two yes. of them. Show me the bunnies. I hopscotched from the Metro Weekly site that Jay's article was on to YouTube chef confesses to murder of gay lover. I see that too. Hang on. Spanish YouTube chef murdering and dismembering his gay lover while the two are visiting Thailand. What the fuck? I read it as he confessed this on YouTube while doing a cooking video. Hello, I'm back. And was like, excuse me, what the fuck? And no, he was like arrested and confessed to it in court and stuff. But my brain, when Wait, I first saw that headline, what happened? was like, I, so on the Metro Weekly website, the year article, oh, the came YouTube from, chef confesses to murder of gay lover. lover. What's I, that about? I interpreted it? it as he, as a Spanish guy who murdered his oh. lover while they were in Thailand. Uh, I yeah no I completely interpreted that as like he confessed it on camera to YouTube while doing a cooking video. For some reason, <laughs> my brain just went like he just admitted this casually while like chopping up some like meat or something. And hey, what's yeah. up, you guys? <laughs> yeah, I murdered my lover. So, <laughs> Cook yeah. with me and with that little dee -dee -dee, like little YouTube fucking music in the background. <laughs> my brain is not good at logical conclusions today. I can tell you that. <laughs> He like American psycho to him. He like premeditated. He bought a knife, rubber gloves, and a bottle of cleaning agent, which led police to conclude the killing was premeditated. Gee, I wonder. Huh. Hmm. Anyway, that's our that's our true true crime segment. <laughs> Library punk true crime. No. <laughs> I was gonna say it's a shame you didn't need them because then you could use it for your other podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Speaking of which, Justin's episode just came out last week. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I started reading uh, my Jewish annotated New Testament, which is extremely long. Oh. And it's in hardback. I don't like reading hardback books. That reminds me of the other thing I was going to say related to all of our all of our stories. So I just read uh, Story of the Eye because remember we're we're doing uh, Bataille mode. We're Bataille posting now. Yeah. Um, so I read Story of the Eye and the edition that I had and that I got from the Boston Public Library shouts out uh, came with two essays in it, one by Holin Bott. Um, and one by my girl, Susan Sontag. Now, listeners might be aware that I love Susan Sontag because she also wrote The Erotics of Art. Or no, it's um, Against Interpretation, but that's where the phrase erotics of art comes, which is where I get my little goofy erotics of metadata thing from. I love Susan Sontag. We love her. And she has an essay in this about pornography and like pornographic literature. And it's, I think it's called The Pornographic Imagination or something. And like, there's a part in it. I already returned the book, but let's see if it like, if I can still access my like highlights. Cause I was like highlighting it. Um, go away, Mark Fisher. Mark Fisher. Yeah. 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 I did find a PDF of it. So I'll put that in the link in the, in the, in the doobly do whatever. Anyway, she's talking about uh, at one point at the end of the essay, she makes the point that like, you know, you get a lot of people trying to like more, like have like moral arguments about why pornography is bad, especially like why like children shouldn't have access to pornography. Right. Uh, or to at least like pornographic literature is more so what she means uh, because her focus is uh, on this because story of the eye is largely considered a form of pornographic literature. And she talks about like, she feels sympathetic to those like arguments of like, well, pe- you know, children shouldn't have access to this because well, it's, they, it's dang- you know, they don't know how to, it, you know, it could be dangerous in their hands and how it might influence them or whatever. And it's like, but what if we can apply that to anything? Right. Like you can apply that line of thinking of like, oh, but like they won't know how to interact with it the way that we intend them to interact with it. This is the exact same argument that Emily Knox makes about why book bans happen. Right. Is that like we don't trust certain groups to be changed or transformed or react to reading the way we want them to. Um, And so like the question shouldn't be like, are they going to you know, is this going to change them in a way we don't intend in a way we don't like, or that will cause them to do harm or whatever, but more like, um, her argument is kind of about the quality. And like, she then goes in to say that like, you know, largely the quality of our pornographic, anything is bad because of capitalism. Um, and not because porn in and of itself is like a thing that is bad. Right. Like capitalism has sort of dictated like how and why we like connect with each other and our appetites and and like what porn looks like largely is because of capitalism. Whereas like if we think about like what are other like what happens if we actually like do this right, (laughs) you know, and then and then the question becomes less of like, you know, again, if you can ask the question, well, what happens if a kid gets a hold of this and what will it do to them? Will it hurt them? You can ask that of literally anything. And so that's sort of a bullshit question to be asking a lot of the time. Um, and there are other questions we can be asking. And I've already returned my loan and I don't know if I can access 
my highlights after I return it. Uh, so I can't quote her exactly, but um, yeah, I was like, I was like reading it on the T and I was like, it's exactly Susan. <laughs> um, this is exactly what we're talking about. Well, like, again, I, I disagree. Like, cause everyone has been saying that like, you know, a lot of people, you know, the right is accusing all of these books of being pornographic and we go, no, they're not pornographic. They're perfectly fine for kids, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's seeding the argument. Like, I, I don't think that's the right course of attack because that's giving their argument legitimacy in the first place. Because it just shows them as concerned people afraid that our children are going to get into, into pornography. And then we go, no, it's not pornography. We give the pornography over there, away from them. And it's like, it's like uh, again, these are the wrong arguments. These are the wrong questions. Like, queer people do be fucking sorry. <laughs> like so do straight people sorry <laughs> like uh teen books should have sex in them and and like all kinds of sex should be depicted in teen books because guess what teenagers have sex like that's a part of life for a lot of teenagers right not all of them but some of them and i i don't know like sex is not this inherently bad thing i don't know it's uh, anyway like we shouldn't see the argument that like no these things aren't pornographic actually again because that's anything can be harmful to anyone if they aren't quote reading it properly or or whatever or like anyone can like take something and like do something with it like that means that no one should be allowed to read anything because we can never trust anyone to react the way that we want them to but that's why reading is so cool is because like you can like get the wildest interpretation that wasn't intended from something like i don't know i'm a little bit rambly at this point but i see where you're coming from i always just think of this this twitter thread that i saw that was like a reaction to a reaction so i didn't actually get the whole thing but was somebody talking about how like basically acknowledging that being a parent and acknowledging that you have sex in the same house as your kid is like inherently traumatic to the kid right which is just like untrue by the way wildly off base to begin with but somebody once but somebody replied to it with yeah and when i was three years old i got a hold of an avocado and squeezed it too tight and was some for and was some for some reason traumatized when i when it was uh green and squishy like brains just do weird shit sometimes just because you overheard your parents having sex and it traumatized you doesn't actually mean that the thing that did it was necessarily like inherently bad in and of itself. He was like, I couldn't eat avocados for the first 25 years of my life. I don't know why my brain just decided that this was just a fucking wild thing it couldn't handle. But like- Also, I'd, I'd rather children overhear their parents having loving, fun, good sex than to like, I don't know, have their parents like hit each other, uh, like have like domestic violence happen in front of a kid. Right. Well, and the whole thing was just like, it just cracked me up because it was like, for some reason, my three-year-old brain couldn't comprehend the fact that it would be green and squishy. And for some reason, this random avocado traumatized me so bad I couldn't eat them for 25 years. Human brains are fucking wild. Also, we didn't used to have separate bedrooms. Yeah, like there's there's so much there to to go <laughs> Read on. Read Bree's but, book. 
Yeah, read Bree's <laughs> book, uh, but also join the Discord because we got uh, live Susan Sontag reactions from Jay as he was as he was reading this book. We were getting screenshots, so like if you want to, well, first there, I got a Bataille a Bataille reaction, and then it was a Sontag reaction. So like, yeah, yeah you want to you want to see this shit in real time? Join the Discord. <laughs> well, I already finished it. Now now I'm reading mark fisher talk about music i've never heard of so which i feel like is the standard experience of reading mark fisher is like what the fuck is he talking about i've never heard of this dub musician okay cool but i like the way he writes so yeah he likes talking about music i never listened to i love the way he writes about music it's quite good actually uh, but yeah, I know I finally finished Capital's Realism. Yay. I'm in Ghosts of My Life now. I'm like reading. So like Repeater Books has like a complete K-Punk collected K-Punk collection thing. And it's like all his books as well as all of the K-Punk blog. Uh, and I read, I finished Capital's Realism and now I'm in Ghosts of My Life, which is, I'm in the hauntology section. Ooh, hauntology. So yeah. Should finish with that on the T this week, maybe. <laughs> I've just been reading on the T because I am on it for like two hours a day. Yeah, I was reading the book that was pu- uh, that was published posthumously, but I never got through it. Weird and the Eerie? Maybe. I don't remember. There's, yeah, there was like two, one or two of them. but It's based on the last lectures he was working on. Oh, that one. So he was yeah. uh, he committed suicide like halfway through the year, so he wasn't finished teaching the course. Yeah. So he hadn't finished uh, the layout for where the lessons were going. So people kind of had to guess uh, how he would have wrapped it up, or like what the rest of the themes were. Let's see. So yeah, the Sontag essay, I've got like a crappy scanned version, but it'll be in the notes. For the pornographic imagination or whatever it's called. Yep, that's what it's called. The The Roland Bart one was a trip. Uh, I, if you want to read some like French nonsense, <laughs> read that. Uh, it is some like high linguistic, like semiotic fuckery going on in that essay. And also, read Story of the Eye. It was really, it was really good. You'll never be able to eat an egg ever again. <laughs> All right. Good night.